Hey, today we are starting a two-part series titled Bridge Builders, and I'm so excited for the series, my friends. Uh, in a lot of ways, in a lot of reasons, I'm excited for this series. Um, much of what we'll talk about next week, um, I just can't wait. I'm so excited. I can't wait for you guys to come back and, and to learn what we're going to talk about next week. So I really want you to be here. I want you to join us online again if you're able um, for part two of Bridge Builders next week. But we've got to get through part one first. And part one, if you're a note taker, if, if you have a Bible with you and you jot things down in the margins, today is called Meeting in the Middle. Bridge Builders, Meeting in the Middle. Today I want to talk about our community, our neighbors, those whom you know, your coworkers, your family members, those who are far from God, those who are far from God. I want to talk about our region and how we might be people who are building bridges to help them traverse the divide and to come near to God through the work that we are doing. Not only, as I said in that prayer, not only to God's salvation, to God's redemption, but to his abundant life. So generally speaking, bridges are not built from one side of a chasm. If you think about it, um, bridges are not built. Theoretically, it can be done depending on the size of the bridge, but the physics and the engineering rarely allow for a bridge to be built from only one side of a chasm. It takes a tremendous amount of resources in order to do that, and so they're just not willing to to do that, most um, architectural and engineering firms. With nearly every bridge that is built, the gap is bridged by both sides coming together and meeting somewhere then in the middle. And it's true of bridges that are physically built, and it's also true of the church. Have you guys ever seen a church that attempts to build a bridge into their community, and they're the only ones making all the effort? Have you ever been part of a church or or witnessed a church that, that does all this stuff to try to build relationships and build bridges into their community, but they are the only ones who are making any of the effort? Their community just isn't interested in meeting them halfway and meeting them in the middle. They're not interested in taking a step towards them. They're not interested in bridging that gap. They're totally content on their side of the chasm. They're like, man, life is great over here. I don't know what the church has to offer way over there. I don't know what it's like over on the other side of that chasm. I don't know what the life of God is like or the abundant life or the salvation or the redemption is like. But over here, we are fine. We are content. Our answers are, our, our questions are being answered. We're, we're thriving. We're, we're satisfied. I don't know. Life seems perfectly fine over here on our side of the chasm. I didn't even know that there was a chasm, to be blatantly honest with you. I didn't even know that there was a problem. I didn't even know that there was a divide between me and God. It seems like if there is a God out there, I'm a, I'm a good person, so I have a good relationship with them, and it's perfectly fine. What's so great about the other side of the chasm that a bridge should even be built? I don't have a need to leave. Do you guys know anybody like that? Probably quite a few in our region. Ultimately, we are building bridges to help people connect to God, but we do so through the context of the local church, which unfortunately is oftentimes the problem, isn't it? Our culture is bored with the church. They've tried that. They've done that. It didn't work. It's done them more harm than it has done good. They've seen the schism and the scandal and the greed. They've seen how the church has hurt people, and they've seen how the church has hurt them. And they're like, you know what? If the chasm is even there, I don't even care. I don't want the church just to offer. I don't care about the church building a bridge to me. I am not going to do absolutely nothing to help the church build a bridge into my life. Now, we especially in the Northeast, we talk about this a lot here at Restoration. We in the Northeast are part of a post-Christian culture. Now, what I'm about to say, these are very broad brushstrokes. 
very general ideas about post-Christian culture. But in the middle of the 20th century, this is like, you know, I'm, I'm going to condense 75 years of church history down into two sentences here for you, okay? Basically, in the middle of the 20th century, churches stopped being genuine, they stopped being honest, and they stopped addressing the real and the felt needs of the world, and they failed to address the questions that the, that the world was asking. Now, of course, not every single local church did this, but generally speaking, the church stopped being authentic and stopped being honest, and they stopped addressing the needs that the culture was experiencing. Now, this doesn't mean uh, being a post-Christian culture does not mean that we have an atheistic culture. It just means that the culture doesn't really care about the local church. We're kind of an afterthought, right? The church and the true Christian message, it's really just a non-entity within our communities. Christian values don't inform our culture or how we ought to make decisions, nor do they inform the answers to life's most pressing questions. The, the questions of human existence and the questions of, of how we experience life upon this planet and the questions of how I should interact with my neighbor and the questions of morality and, and all of these questions that are burning that I believe deep down inside every single heart and soul, the world just by and large isn't interested in going to the church to have those questions be answered. Again, very broad brushstrokes. But in the middle of the 20th century, the world was drastically different after World War II. Values were shifting, suburbia was starting, and as the world, from the church's perspective, was becoming more corrupt, the church became a bunker for Christians who huddled up within its fortress of self-righteousness. And from that fortress of self-righteousness, the church began to shout slanders and condemnation at the world from the safety of their supposed salvation And the world just lost interest, and the world, by and large, lost faith in the church. You see, if trust is formed when one's behavior matches their declaration, then Christians couldn't be trusted because they claim to live a perfect life as demanded by the self-righteous fortress, but the Christians within that self-righteous fortress couldn't actually live the life that they declared They were living. So what do you do when that happens? Well, you put on a mask, right? The masks come on, and the scandals and the abuses and the greed and the general flaws of being human, we hide those away from the looking world. And we lock ourselves away behind doors so that the world doesn't know what's going on. And one thing the church had forgotten was that whether it intended it or not, and I talk about this a lot too, that we are Christ's ambassadors, by the, by, the, by the mere fact that we call ourselves Christian means that we are ambassadors of Christ. We are representing Christ to a watching world. And so the world is going to understand who God is by the way we behave. The world is going to understand who God is by the way we treat our neighbors. And my friends, goodness gracious, in this political season, I'm going totally off script here, my friends. In this political season that we are in, the world is looking at us And they're saying, why would I ever want to be part of the church that is so full of hate and bigotry and looks like that and is so divisive and has no unity and can't get along with the people on the other side of the aisle? Why would we ever want to be part of a body like that? We'll talk more about that in a couple weeks as we start a series on that. But one thing that the church had forgotten and Christians had forgotten in this is that we are Christ's ambassadors whether we like it or not. And so the world is going to look at us, and they're going to determine who God is and if they want to follow this God and believe in this God by the way we treat each other. It's a simple matter of fact. It's not that the world stopped asking questions. It's not that the world stopped needing forgiveness. It's not that the world stopped needing 
life or purpose or meaning, stopped believing in some innate moral compass. It's just that very few people wanted to look to the church for those answers. Now, this is the brief history as to why here in our culture, Bucks County is 3% evangelical today. My friends, unreached people groups are classified as a region that is 2% or less evangelical. We are essentially living in an unreached people group here in Bucks County. Crazy to think about that, right? Too many churches, again, in that, in that uh, modern era, in the middle of the 20th century, we, we started focusing so much on the, on the world mission movement that we skipped over our neighbors. And we, we forgot about our communities, and that is why Bucks County right now is essentially an unreached people group. And so we at Restoration Church, yes, we want to focus on the global impact, right? We want to have a global impact. That's why we partner with Compassion and other, other organizations, hopefully, in the, in the coming years to, to reach communities that are, are, you know, global. But we have a focus right here in our neighborhoods to reach our community for Christ. So I say all this because it is our desire that everybody be saved. It's God's desire, according to 1 Timothy, that everybody be saved, and that everyone within our reach comes to know the truth of God's love and grace and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And this history that I've talked about kind of informs why we do the ministry that we do here. Now, the first threshold in reclaiming the disenfranchised, that the people who have like, you know what, yeah, okay, the church, whatever, you know, it's a non-entity for me. I don't really care what the church has to offer. I don't really need it. I'm going to find my answers elsewhere. The first threshold that we must pass is through trust. We must help our communities do all that we can within our power to help our community reestablish trust in the local church. We must help our community know that we are for them and that we are on their side just as God is for us and on our side. And so we must continually become a church in our community for our community, building bridges into our community to those who are far from God in hopes that they may come near to him, come near to his salvation, come near to his abundant life. But remember, building bridges only works if people are willing to take a step towards us as well, if they're willing to meet us in the middle. That is the only way that our bridge building is going to be effective. If we reach those people who have some interest in coming towards us just even a little bit. This means that both sides of the gap need to take initiative. This means that both sides of the gap need to take ownership and some responsibility in moving towards each other. We all see in those churches that have just beaten down people with the gospel and shouted upon deaf ears to people who aren't interested, to people who don't care. It is our hope here at Restoration Church that we seek out those people who do care, who are interested, who have shown us some semblance of response to our message and to the gospel. We all have people like this in our lives, I think. I have conversations with people all of the time. The reason, to be honest, that I started coaching baseball for my kids was so that I would have interactions with those people who are not in church, who are in the world, because my life is for restoration for the most part. Like, you are my friends, but what what good is it to evangelize to you guys, right? So I needed people in my life. And if you don't have non-Christians in your life, start involving yourself in those organizations and those communities where there are non-Christians present so that you can have an impact in your community. My friends, I have conversations all of the time with, with parents and with kids even about Jesus and salvation and life and death and, and church and we go, we go relatively deep for how little I've gotten to know some of these people. It's incredible. And so we have these conversations, right? We built these relationships. We began to build these bridges. 
We all know people who, who are like this, right? They, they grew up Catholic. They want nothing to do with religion, but they like the idea of Jesus. They want nothing to do with the religion, but they want this, they're spiritual, right? They, they have this burning in their, in their heart. They, they, they know that they need Jesus. They want Jesus. They need to be forgiven. They want the unconditional love that Christ provides them. They're searching for abundant life in every single thing that they do, but they're not successful in any of it. And so there's this longing in, in them, right? There's this burning in them. They, they, they want what the church has to offer. They just don't want the church. Interesting, isn't it? But I have a personal relationship with them. So, right, I can share the nature of the gospel, and, and I can invite them into a place like restoration, hopefully where they're going to experience a new version, a, a different version than what they grew up with or what they assume the church is like. And so many of you have done this. We are an inviting church. It's part of our culture. It's part of who we are. We constantly want to be inviting our community back into what we're doing. It's part of our culture because it mimics exactly what God has done for us. God has invited us into his life, so we should be inviting other people into his life. And I just had this conversation just last week, actually. Julie and I were talking with a a few of you here present, even. We were talking about how Julie invited Andrew, and then Andrew invited Melissa, and then Melissa invited Candace, and then Candace invited Sarah, and Sarah's now inviting friends. It's like little by little, right? We invite one person, and all of a sudden it's this trickle effect. And that is just one example of so many of your narratives, so many of your narratives, you could say, yeah, I invited that person, they invited them, and they invited them. It's like all of a sudden, I mean, I would love to make a family tree of Restoration Church and see where everybody comes from. I guarantee you there are a couple people in this church that have just like exploded the invitation, and they're like, it's, it's, it's really powerful. It's powerful what an invitation will do. You have no idea what inviting one person will do to not only change their life, but to change their family's life, to change the culture, to change Restoration Church. You have no idea. There's a story in Acts when, when Paul was being jailed, <clears throat> Acts 16, and, and the jailer comes, and there is this incredible earthquake, and, and Paul is set free. Maybe you guys some know the story, but the jailer is about to be killed, right? And he's like, because you, you, you can't in their culture, in, in the Roman prison system, if you lose a jailer, then you get killed for doing that. And so this killer is about to take, this jailer is about to take his own life, and, uh, and Paul says, no, stop. And he tells him the gospel, and the jailer says, yes, I'm committing my life to that gospel. And he says, hey, you know what? Now I believe, Paul says that now you believe your entire household, your entire circle of influence is going to be changed because of your belief. And that is what happens when you invite one person into the life of Christ. We've seen it happen time and time again. You know it's probably happened maybe even to you. So here's the thing. If, should, we just, should we just leave those people on the other side of the chasm, those people who aren't interested in building bridges? And what do we do with those people who are building some bridges towards us? How do we... How do we invite them? How do we people who are going to reach them? Here's what Jesus has to say about all this in Luke chapter 10. If you have your scripture with us, you're welcome to turn, us, uh, turn with us there. Uh, otherwise, words will be on the screen for you. He said this, the harvest is plentiful. There's a lot of people out there who need the salvation and the life of Christ. The harvest, man, it's plentiful. It's not like there's just a few of them. They're everywhere. But the workers... We are scarce. The workers are few. There's a lot of people who need the salvation who are ready to receive it, but the workers, the ones who are willing, are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Who is that? All of us should say, that's me. 
right? Let's put our hands up. Who are the harvester? Who are, who are the workers being sent out? That is me. That is us. I am the worker. You are the worker because you have a relationship with the living God that your community so desperately needs. You have a relationship with people who need the forgiveness and the salvation that Christ has to offer, the unconditional love and the community that is going to carry them through hard times. We are the workers. So what do we do, right? What do we do as the workers? Well, Jesus continues, go! So often we're like, oh, I don't know, Jesus, yeah, I got the life of Christ in me, but it seems like a lot of work to go and tell people about it, to go out into the mission field, which is my own backyard. No, go. Don't just stand around waiting for people to come to you, right? Again, if, if, if the people are only building the bridges and we're just standing here waiting for them to come to us, then no bridge is ever going to be built. Start building some bridges, Jesus says. Go. Start building your bridges. You have life flowing through you, so go and share it with the world. Go. Build some bridges. You see, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves and you know jesus that is why i don't go come on jesus like come on can't you that's exactly why we don't go (laughs) we don't go very far at least we don't go very fast at least jesus if i am a lamb and you are sending me among the wolves i am gonna get eaten alive right wolves eat lambs for breakfast lunch and dinner. I'm going to be abused. I'm going to be tormented. I'll be ridiculed. I'm going to be laughed at. I might. So, sir, Jesus, uh, yeah, I'll go, but you know what? I'm going to be cautious, and I'm not going to be all that bold as I go. Maybe, maybe if they initiate the conversation with me, oh, that's, yeah, then, then absolutely. Maybe if they're the first one to build the bridge, then yeah, I'll go. Maybe if they're wearing a cross necklace, you know, that's an open door. That's easy. Maybe if they're carrying around a Bible, Probably Jehovah's Witnesses at that point, so you got some challenges there in front of you, but come on, they need it too, right? So, like, you know, like, we got some challenges here, but maybe if they have an open door to invite me into sharing, then I will go. Notice that we tend to be very comfortable evangelizing to those people who already have a context for faith, all right? They've built a little bit of a bridge. Okay, well, maybe we can have that discussion. The reason is because wolves are scary, And we are lambs, and we will get eaten by the wolves. And so, Jesus, send me among the lambs. You know, I'll talk to lambs all day long about Jesus. I'll talk to you. I'll evangelize to you guys, sure. The church will never grow. The kingdom of God will never expand. But sure, let's just keep evangelizing to those people. Let's just keep sheep stealing from other churches. Let's just keep growing that way. It's safe. It's comfortable. Let's just stay inside our fortress. Let's just stay inside our bunker where it's safe and I'm comfortable here. There's a story in the prophet Isaiah 700 years before Jesus about the Messiah and what the Messiah is going to do once he finally arrives on the scene, what kind of world he's going to establish. It says wisdom and understanding, knowledge and strength, righteousness, justice will be secured, and wickedness and evil, they will be no more. Righteousness will be the belt and faithfulness, the sash around his waist. And then he says, after all this is accomplished, the wolf will live in harmony and in peace with the lamb. So you do know what our challenge has been as the church, as the lambs? Our, our, our challenge is that we've hidden behind the safety of our shepherd. We've locked ourselves away in the bunker and in the fortress of the church. And we cast slurs and condemnation at the wolves for being the wolves and for doing things that wolves do. Instead of inviting those wolves into our friendship, instead of inviting those wolves into our peace, instead of 
inviting the wolves into our safety and into our life. It's like we've expected the world to be Christian, and then when they prove that they're not Christian, we've condemned them for it. And we've judged them for it. See, the point that Isaiah is making is that the life of the Messiah, which is now in us, right? We are the Messiah people. We are the ambassador people. We produce peace. Did you guys know that? That is a... That is a component of the Spirit of God living within you, is that where you go, peace should follow. Look at your household, my friends. Come on, look at our churches, look at our communities. Where we go, peace should follow. So should we fear the wolf? Or should we go share our peace with them? And, and what if they don't want our peace? What if they're not interested in building the bridge? What if they don't want our life? What if they take absolutely no initiative? Well... When you enter a house, Jesus continues, first say, peace to this house. The Greek word for peace, irene, which is the equivalent of the Hebrew word shalom, it simply means wholeness. You know, it means total satisfaction. Things as they were always meant to be. Peace. And so as you enter a house or as you make a relationship with someone, ask yourself, do you wish, or ask them even better yet, do you wish that there was no more pain or crying or mourning or death or decay? I mean, wouldn't it be great if there was no more guilt or shame? Wouldn't it be amazing if when you turned on the news, there wasn't all this talk about, <laughs> come on, political division, scandals, abuse, local murders, robberies, increasing drug epidemics? What if all we had to talk about when we turned on the news was, was generous communities and the kindness of people meeting the hurt of others? And they're like, oh, man, that would be amazing. I, w- I would love that. I-, I too long for wholeness, right? I too want peace. I too long for satisfaction and for things to be as they are always meant to be. Well, if someone who promotes peace is there, Jesus says, your peace will rest on them. You have an open door. They've started building that bridge towards you, right? And they're interested in meeting in the middle. They're curious. And so, friends, keep the conversations going. Keep going. Stay a while, right? Become friends. Share with them the life that you have found. Share with them the forgiveness you have experienced. Share with them the abundant life that comes and the joy and the peace and the beauty that comes from knowing Jesus. But if not, it will return to you. If they say, you know what? I love political angst. Man, I'm just, this, this, this political season is like my dream. I'm just loving all this. I'm loving the division. I'm loving the disunity. I love it all. If they say, you know what, I don't care about littering. All those sea turtles can choke on my straws all day long. I don't care about that. I don't care about the world being renewed. I don't care about what I tra- how I trash the planet. I don't care about any of that. If they say, no, I'm not guilty. No, it was all her fault. No, no, no. Grace is a crutch for the weak. I have no need for it. I am strong. I am self-sufficient. I am self-reliant. And if there is a God, then he's probably pretty pleased with me because I'm one of the good people. What do you do with people like that? Well, Jesus continues, when you enter a town and are, and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you, heal the sick who are there, and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. Great, the life of the Spirit through you is doing its work in them. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your own town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Or in other words, my friends, don't waste your time with those people who have absolutely no interest in not even starting the construction of a bridge 
to meet you in the middle. It's hard words, right? It's hard to say. Are we supposed to leave them to the devices? God is the ultimate judge, my friends. But Jesus says, I want, to, I want you to invest your time in those people who are at least interested in meeting you in the middle. Do not waste your energy building bridges to those people who are not going to help build the bridge in return. Or as Jesus put it on a different occasion, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. And so, the principle, we must go out. Yes, bridges are not built from the banks of a chasm, right? We must reach and extend and build towards our community and look for those people who are stepping towards us. This is why we focus so much attention and resources into things like Be Rich and other generous sacrificial actions in our community throughout the year. This is why this past week, as we had mentioned, that we went out into our school systems and, and just heaped a bunch of of snacks and treats and and words of encouragement on them because we know that they're in a a very challenging position right now and we love our schools we love our teachers and we love our administrators that is why we do things like this we want to establish trust in a culture that doesn't trust the church and from trust perhaps they'll become curious which is why we regularly offer things like starting point and why we regularly have series asking hard questions here on Sunday mornings. We know the world is asking questions, so let's declare that we have the solutions that the world is asking. And from curiosity, we pray that they will become then open to considering different priorities and worldviews, which will then drive them to seeking and eventually, Lord willing, their finding. So yes, we must establish trust, and we must also step into the gap of where our community is, where our neighbors are, our coworkers, our family members, our, our, our friends, our neighbors, and where God desires them to be. We must be a people of diligent prayer for others, but my friends, I pray that we would first be praying for ourselves because revival is always going to start with the individual. It's always going to start with us, so as we pray for our community, let us be praying for our hearts as well. But Emily challenged us a couple weeks ago with this question when she spoke. She said, okay, now, now that we're at this position, what can we do now? And what can we do next, right? We, we, we are a church that is trying constantly to build bridges into our community. So what can we do now? And what can we do next? First, we need to pray. Okay, that, that, that is your first task. Pray, pray, pray. Pray for our community. Pray for those you know who are interested in the church, who have shown a little bit of interest, who seem far from God, but have shown some curiosity in what we're about and who we are and what we're doing. Pray for those who have asked you questions or talked about who we are or, or, or what we do. Pray. And then I want you to invite them. After you have prayed for them, only after you have prayed for them, I want you to invite them. And in two weeks, as we open our doors to the public on October 25th, we are also starting a brand new series titled Capital Concern. This is a series about where faith and politics intersect. And as I said last week, it may be the most important series that, that we've ever had here. It just realizing the condition of America right now and the condition of, of Christians in general, this may be a very, very important series. 90% of the people you know are paying attention to the political canvas, are they not? Probably even more than that. And many of them might be interested in what restoration has to say on the matter. And so invite them, invite them, invite them. We're going to have some hard copy invites, um, hopefully available to you next week. I guess it has to be next week because the following week is this series. So um, we're going to have some, some opportunities, again, in this digital world that may not make any sense to have physical copies available. So use our digital um, 
inv inviting strategies to get as many people to watch online or to be with us in person on that 25th. Invite, invite, invite only after you have prayed, prayed, prayed. Beyond that, though, there are a number of opportunities and initiatives we'll be starting over the next several weeks to help build trust and to make God's wonderful name known into our community. So if you've been around the last two years, each fall we have began a campaign called Be Rich. It's a really exciting time of the year. It's a really fun time of the year because we just raise as many resources as we can and then we turn and we pour them out upon our community through fun, interactive events and acts of generosity. Now, because of COVID and because of the political year that we are in, uh, Be Rich is going to look a little different this year. We'll talk more about this in particular. We'll really deep dive into this after the Capital Concern series is finished. But there are a few things that you can know and participate in right now to help us make Be Rich successful this year. So it is our hope that everybody who calls Restoration Church their home, or if you just love what we're doing, and you're participating with us maybe online, and you're just like, Yo, I'm at a distance, but you can still participate. You can still help us accomplish our mission here. That you would participate and be rich. 100% participation is what we hope for throughout this campaign. We will choose to be sacrificial with our money, that we'll choose to be sacrificial with our time, that we'll choose to be sacrificial with our energy to bless our community in the name of Jesus. Now, we don't track this, obviously. We're not going to say, oh, okay, well, you didn't participate yet, or you haven't participated, or you did. You know, we're not going to track entirely who gives. We just, we ask, and it's our desire that we have 100% participation in this. 100% participants, because when you partner with us through giving and through serving, restoration story of life change, they become your stories of life change. As you partner with what God is doing here, then you get to share that story as saying, you know what, I was a contributor to that person's changed life. That is incredible. Do we have a baptism service in here in a, in, in a few weeks? Obviously, the details aren't entirely put together for that yet, but you get to hear these stories of life change. You say, well, I was a partner in that. I was a contributor to that. God worked through me to change that person's life. That is incredible. Participation does not lead to look the same for everybody, but here is our ask for Be Rich. And again, we're going to go deep, a deep dive into this after the Capital Concern series. That you would give $40 to the Be Rich campaign. Easy enough, right? We go to Chick-fil-A, we blow twice that as a family on one night's dinner at Chick-fil-A, right? So like 40 bucks, that's an easy ask. We just choose to stay home, eat some of the soup in our pantry. Easy, right? $40 is not a huge ask. You can, if you're ready to give right now, again, we'll talk more about this later, but online app, you can text the dollar amount, be rich, include all of that, right? Put a dollar amount, be rich, to 84321, or you can give check or cash in an envelope as well. This is above and beyond what we ask of you in giving normally, by the way, because we believe that God has entrusted to us all that we have, and we are going to be generous stewards to help build bridges into our community so that those who are far from God might come near to God. So you can give financially, but you can also donate, right? Because there are a number of things that we do um, for this, uh, this campaign that are donated, re re uh, rely, rely on donations. So there'll be an entire list going out in the coming weeks. But for now, we are going to be doing a, another diaper collection. We did this last year. We raised about s just over 17,000 diapers last year and over 21,000 wipes. So we have a goal this year, right? We're upping this a little bit. 20,000 diapers we want to collect to turn around and give to those parents and those guardians who are in need. 
So that's one thing that you can donate to right now. If you're at the store, you want to throw a box of diapers in your cart and help us collect over 20,000 diapers, that would be an incredible blessing to our community. Did you know that um, one in three parents or guardians struggle to buy diapers for their children? 33% of people struggle with that. And you can't oftentimes buy diapers on WIC or on government-assisted income. So uh, it's definitely a need for a lot of people. And then lastly, you could also serve. There will be tons of serving opportunities as we pour out God's generous love on our community through the month of November and beyond. Better yet, you can do a combination of any of these. Do all of them. Do everything. Invest yourself. Pour yourself out. Make those sacrificial choices for the betterment of our community. I'm going to invite the band forward. We are going to sing one final song as we conclude our service together. And so here's the point, right? We want to be bridge builders. We recognize that our community, the post-Christian community that we're a part of, the community that is so far from God, we want to build bridges into our community to help them acknowledge and learn and realize and own the abundant life of Christ. And we do that by praying for our community. We do that by inviting our community. We do that by, by offering the peace, the shalom, that God has put within us to those who need it. But, my friends, if you try, and the people are like, no thanks, I don't care, then move on to the next one. Keep praying for that person, but move on to the next one. Until you find someone who is like, yeah, you know, that sounds really cool. Or, you know, I have been having those thoughts. Or, I did grow up in the, in the church, and I, I ditched it, you know, a few years ago. But, but there is something that I'm missing. I know that. We have a great responsibility to be the ambassadors of Christ, to be bridge builders, and to meet those who are willing in the middle so that they too might come to know Jesus Christ. I'm going to say a prayer for us, and then we're going to sing one final song together before we conclude our time. Heavenly Father, thank you for this great opportunity, this opportunity to go out as among the wolves. I know that that can be so scary and daunting. But you are the God of peace, and you have put your peace within me, And even if I am rejected and ridiculed and mocked because of my belief and the life that you have put in me, Father, the forgiveness that I have experienced, the reconciliation that I have found, the renewal of life and the power of the Holy Spirit, Father, I will take that any day to that friendship or to that relationship. And so, Father, I just, I pray that we might be people who are willing And that maybe, Father, even through just a smile, through a simple act of generosity, Father, people might say, you know what, I need it. I'm coming. I'm going to start building that bridge. I'm going to meet in the middle, and then I'm going to experience the salvation and the abundant life of Christ offered to me. Maybe so in our community, Father, give us a boldness. Give us a supernatural energy and a supernatural boldness to be a people who are praying constantly and diligently for our community, but then inviting, not just inviting them to church, but inviting them into your life, into your grace, into your forgiveness, into a relationship with you, Father, and ultimately into your abundant life. We ask this in the name of Jesus, who gave his life for us, and that we are then called to model. Amen.